This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, created because, through no fault of your own, you've become one. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and I know how it feels when you're getting ground down by people issues, constantly firefighting and wondering how on earth you ended up here. In each episode, I invite a guest to discuss a topic and give you three, sometimes more, top tips that will help you in your leadership role. They are experts in the field and you'll find out why they do what they do and what took them down that path. For more resources to help you on your leadership journey, check out thereluctantleader.academy where you'll find details of how to join the Reluctant Leader success path. So let's see who's in the hot seat this week. Today I'm talking to Alan Rawlins. Alan provides exceptional specialist property advice to a wide range of clients from independent and corporate landlords to large and small occupiers of commercial property. His all-round advice on acquisitions, managing your property assets, negotiating rent reviews and lease renewals, providing valuations and other strategic advice to help clients navigate through their property cycle within their business. He ensures that each stage of the client's property project gets actioned from idea through to delivery. Whether just starting out with a new enterprise or a well-established business that is expanding or relocating into new premises. I hope you enjoy this chat we had about negotiating and I'll catch you all on the other side. Alan, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Hi. We will be, uh, our topic today is going to be negotiating, which is going to be quite a a lively discussion, I think, because um, um, I think we're all um, uh, put in a situation where we have to negotiate um, for our own benefit, but I think we're going to be talking about how we can get to a win-win and hopefully get there a bit quicker. But before we get down into that and the nitty-gritty of that, what I ask all my guests is, uh, why do you do what you do and what was the pivotal moment that took you down this path? Oh, that's a loaded question, Mark. Um, um, uh, why do I do what I do? Uh, I, I suppose, started off 20-odd years ago and ended up by default. Um, I was working in the property department and as an assistant. Uh, I'd only been there a few a few months, and then my boss announces to me that he's leaving. He's been headhunted for somewhere else. And I walked into the FD's office, because that's who we all reported to at the time, and said, um, uh, you need somebody to do this job. I'll do it. And he said, fine, okay, you've got three months. We opened 18 of the 20 stores we were aiming for, and he said, well, the job's yours. So I ended up doing the job before I was actually qualified to do the job. But the joke was within that company at the time was that everybody who was doing a job there wasn't actually qualified to do that job, but they were good. They were able to do it because they proved themselves from by actually doing it. I don't know how that would stick these days in the um, you know, the way that uh, all the tests and everything that people do to actually get a job in the 21st century. But that's how it was then, um, and it just got a click from it. Uh, dealing with uh, commercial property, I don't do residential. Um, that's another long story. Um, but commercial property has been a very interesting marketplace to work in over the last sort of twenty odd years, and it still proves to do so now. Um, and they still come across new situations uh, which uh, people just don't realise what they've got or how to deal with it or what they're dealing with. And it, it, there's still an awful lot of misconception about what I do and what people like me do. Mm. So and it, that keeps it going, keep, keeps me interested and. In, uh, yeah, as I say, after from the mid '90s to now, it's um, it has evolved and changed a lot. But um, there's still a lot of things out there which uh, keep me, yeah, you know, keep me going, keep me interested, and keep me wanting to keep 
dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we um, we were connected on LinkedIn first of all. Um, we've yep. sort of had a chat off, um, a couple of times about some stuff, and and it came. It sort of dawned on me that um, people in leadership positions are very much um, needing to use negotiating um, techniques and styles, and to get to a win-win situation. And and the reason why I thought you'd be an ideal person is is that. When we're talking about a transaction um, with a, a, a commercial property, one of the things that you've got to do is obviously understand how to get to that win-win situation as soon as possible. Because obviously, the longer it takes, the, the longer it, uh, the, the more it costs. So, where where would we start with this? How, what, what's your what's your first thing that you would um, um, recommend to anybody that's going to be going into uh, negotiating commercial property deal I think with, with a lot of a lot of these situations is knowing what you're dealing with um, if you think of most people or most commercial properties I mean it's not a situation which you deal with on a daily basis mm. unless you have a very very big portfolio and we're talking thousands of assets um, the chance of you actually knowing what you're dealing with and being up to date what you're dealing with are very very slim now most small to medium-sized businesses may have you know, a dozen or more properties, maybe, and they even get into the realms of, you know, fifties, hundreds of some of the the medium-sized retailers. And the people making the decisions about these assets are generally not property trained, so they're coming at it from a different point of view. And the further up the company you go, the less the knowledge is there, because quite often. You know, the people at the top who are in their leadership roles that are um, getting people to buy into what they're doing and how they're dealing with it have signed the lease. That's it. They don't really know anything else about it. So when it comes around to a rent review, a lease renewal, or a situation within the business where they want to move site or they want to downsize or upsize or whatever, they're coming at it from a business perspective, right, we need to do X. But they don't actually know how to do it. So who do we ask or who do we say? And it filters down through the organization. And then the organization, well, actually, no, we haven't got anybody on board that does that. Who do we go to? What, what? Well, let's ask solicitors. Solicitors are fantastic at what they do. They're very good at procedure. They'll be able to tell you ins and outs of exactly what you've got, what the lease is. Everything. They're not valuers. They're not commercially orientated. Even a commercial lawyer um, who deals with commercial property all the time will understand the process but they're not a valuer. And these people should be uh, um, brought into the mix further down the line. The first thing you need to do is to actually look and say, what have we got here? What are these assets worth? Where do we go? What All these what-if questions. First people they should approach is a valuer, a surveyor, a surveying firm, somebody who can actually understand in commercially where they're at at the moment. Because what the reality of what they've got is almost certainly completely different to what they think they've got or what they think they acquired three or five years before. And that is sometimes the biggest issue. And you find as well in the current you know, commercial uh, climate, we find that occupiers and landlords are the furthest apart that they can be in any set of negotiations. And it's because of the commercial uncertainty that we're, we're facing at the moment. And I'm, I'm not putting it down to one thing or the other. I mean, you, you it's just the mindset of where the very the two sides are, if you want to put it that way. So getting to a win-win situation is probably harder now than it has been, I would say, from the last probably since 2008, since we had the recession. Right. 
but it's different reasons for it. Most landlords have got the view that, oh, rents are going to go up. Most occupiers have got the view rents are going to go down when it gets to lease renewal. And at rent review, it's a nil increase. Now, both arguments have got grounding in the economical situation. But when you sort of go down to a more of a macro level to the where the site actually is, it could go either way. There may be situations why the rents need to go up. There may be situations where the rents are going to go down. And you have to bring that across to the people making the decisions on both sides. And when you've got a circumstance where you, you've got a reasonable size landlord and a reasonable size occupier, they will have people in-house who understand the process. They will have outsourced advisors to be able to negotiate these terms and things for them, to bring a position together, which you, know, you can either agree or disagree on. And then if you get to a win-win situation, great. If you agree that you can't agree on those things, you can distill it down to what the dispute is about and then get that dispute resolved by an independent party. The problems you find is that the majority of um, property disputes arise where you've got a large party on one side and a small one on the other. Because the large party, whether it's an occupier or a landlord, will just try and roll over the, the, the opposition. Mm-hmm. And that's where bad decisions get made. And it might seem it's a good decision at the time, but then later on, these things have a habit of coming around and not being such a good decision at the end of it. So it's understanding what you've got and understanding who you need, what advice you need to get from people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the, be- the best way of sort of trying to describe that. Yeah. So it's obviously that within your environment and negotiating, the first step really is to get some sort of start starting point, and that's where the valuation comes in. Uh, and obviously, yeah, that yeah. has to come from one or either either of the parties, I guess. Well, you quite often you'll find, and especially if it's um, yeah an older, a large older building that's been there for a long time, not a modern sort of concrete box, that um, the landlord. They'll get a valuer. They'll come in, give them a report and evaluation. The tenant will get their own valuer in, and they'll get a report. And you compare the two, and you think, have they both inspected the same property? <laughs> that happens a lot, believe you me. Yeah. The, the problem happens is, um, uh, it, it's human nature, that you tend to try and favor what you think your client wants to hear. Surveyors doing that have been caught out a lot in the past. And when this is where things have changed considerably with the international valuation standards, where you had um, surveyors from different jurisdictions valuing effectively the same buildings and coming up with completely different um, uh, situations. And this was brought to a head um, two or three years ago when um, an office building was being valued in Dubai. Now, in Dubai, that's probably the, the central point of jurisdictions for surveyors from all over the world who go to work. And different floors of this building were allegedly valued by surveyors from different jurisdictions. They all measured the same thing, and it should be, you know, the floor plate is the same, so it should be exactly the same. And they came up with different values for each floor. And when it was analysed to find out why, they realised that they were all doing things slightly differently. When that filtered through to the investment market and the people making decisions about buying these big office buildings and whatever, they said, well, okay, hold on a second. If we're buying an office building in New York and we're comparing it to potentially an office building in London or Sydney, how do we know one compares directly with the other? 
The answer is they didn't because there were slightly different nuances. So the, the Royal Institution in charge, the, the RICS, took all this on board and then they changed the measuring standard and there is now a accepted international measuring standard for office buildings. And they've taken the best bits from each of the jurisdictions that were justifiable and created one approach, which has made the investment market a lot happier because they can now compare different assets in different jurisdictions to see what it's worth, what they're paying for it, what likely rent increase or decrease, whatever's likely going to be. And this is being rolled out across other um, uh, asset classes over the next few years, so retail, um, offices, industrial, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there will be an international measuring standard, an international valuation standard worldwide, where before you could have assumptions in different jurisdictions that were slightly different. And this has made, because property is seen as a, bit, is a, is a huge area within the investment market, but it's still not the biggest part by any means. But now people can compare and contrast what are you doing. And the benefit is that there's more money coming into this country for people buying assets because they, they know, well, it's as, they see it as a safe bet. They always have done and always will do. Um, yeah. uh, I, guess, I, I guess everyone's looking for a bit of certainty, aren't they? And that they need well, something to point. measure against, don't they? Yeah, this is, this is the point. And the uncertainty we've got within the, you know, generally within the economy at the moment, a safe place for people to invest their money. And if it's, you know, a sovereign fund from the Middle East or the Far East, whatever, buying big assets in the UK, that money then does filter down to lower levels. So it does help create the market, um, which benefits everybody in the long term. I mean, you can see that in some of the local towns that are having uh, redevelopments carried out. But the decision has been made to carry out that uh, development. Um, The money's come from somewhere. It doesn't just create, you know, the, the market creates the money and it filters down and they think, well, okay, we, we, they've done that, we've got that, we've, we've sold this asset to them, so we've got some more money to bring into this. And it, it creates the process without any, the worst case in any, in, in, throughout, the, throughout the, the property market is nothing is happening. Nobody's buying, nobody's selling, nobody's letting. Yeah, you know, we're not at that situation haven't, and haven't been in that situation for a long time. Regardless of where we are in the economy, there's still deals being done, good or bad. And people are making the decisions to do that. Yeah. But it all yeah. stems from knowing what you've got and what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that stand, you know, when you get that valuation, wherever it's come from, and like you've described, there's probably going to be two different valuations from a landlord and a tenant. So yeah. what's what's the next step? What what um, to get to a, a resolution? What do you see as a, another uh, you know the next step from from there on to to, to move it well, forward? Usually, I mean, the best way of, for any of these processes is to have um, the surveyors to sit down and go through the differences and come up with a something what they can agree on. So the, the, this is what happens when when if. It always seems to be back to front with, with, with certain sets of negotiations, and we've been trying to change this for a while, but it's it's ingrained into the way we do things. Um, when it goes through the court process, at one stage, you have a document which is um, uh, referred to, I believe it's referred to as a Scott schedule. But effectively, the two sides saying, well, this is the point, and one party says, well, this is what we think, and the, the other party says, this is what we think. And it lists out all these points, and the idea is for court well take that back to the starting point if you sit down with your opposite number 
you know, landlord and tenant and go through the varying elements of it and say, well, we agree on this, we disagree on that. And you would, narrow the, you would then narrow the issues down to a very small number. It might be as love, you know, hundreds of points get down to like half a dozen. Mm-hmm. It's the way the lawyers do when they're comparing um, a lease. You know, you've got to a stage where you've agreed the deal, you've got a heads of terms laid out. That goes to the mm-hmm. lawyers. The lawyers then disseminate this with the, the lease contract, and they will have a huge number of points on there, which you see every time. Once the lawyer set, the lawyer for the landlord sends out the lease to the tenant. The tenant's lawyer looks at it and then writes with red ink or red type these days, virtually over more than half of it, and then sends it back to the other side. This is called a negotiation. Um, it, and it takes, this is why it takes so long, because lawyers are trained to do things in certain ways. They don't like using the telephone, they do everything in writing, because that can be backtracked. Get that. Yeah. Go back to the start from the negotiation point of view. If the two sides were able to do that themselves in a detailed format, you would reduce, the, you would narrow down the issues from the start to a much smaller number. And then those much smaller number are the things that you can take a view on. But if you don't do that, you're going to be arguing over things which really are irrelevant to what, what, what the actual issue is. And quite often you see there's a number of smoke screens that are thrown up as part of the negotiation. Um, and it's not really the issue at all for their client. What their client's interested in is you know, usually term and rent. But you would, um, it would be amazing if we actually got to that early on. But more often than not, you don't get to that point. There's always something else. Somebody's got a bright idea. They've got something in the background. Or, or the worst case scenario is that you've got one party on one side of the negotiation that doesn't know how to negotiate. So all they do is they've got the position that they've been told, right, this is what we are supposed to do. Okay? And they won't budge. Yeah. So you go through the whole process of negotiation. No, we're not. And they just come back with the same thing every time. Every, there's, a negotiation is a conversation between the two parties. But a bit of give and take. So you get to a point where you can mutually agree on something. The number of people that can't do that, whether their mindset doesn't allow them to do it, or whether their training hasn't equipped them to be able to do that, mm. is very, very high. And, more, and scarily so, that some people have actually been trained to do it this way. And in my view, well, that's not a negotiation. That's just, that's just you know, ultimatum. It, it's a completely different thing. You're just sticking behind it. Well, that's what it is. I'm not going to budge. That's my line in the sand. That's it. It doesn't get you anywhere. When you've yeah. got negotiations that go through and you're up against someone like that, all you can do is say to the client, okay, well, they're not going to budge. So let's take it to the independent party. Let's go to mediation. Let's do um, uh, arbitration or independent expert, whatever the, the, the documents allow, whether the court process allows. Yeah. Because that way then you're, going, you're putting in front of an independent party who would understand the arguments and come up with a decision. And you know, some of my uh, uh, former colleagues who are very senior arbitrators, one of them said to me once that, um, well, if I um, manage to upset both parties in equal measure, I've probably got it about right. <laughs> right. Right. So um, I, I obviously do a bit of work with uh, my clients around negotiating, and I, I sort of talk about sort of um, um, having the right attitude. And I think that's, I, I suppose that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's coming at it that, you have to first of all accept the other the other person's point of view. Firstly, you just got to accept it. Well, I think you've got yeah. to accept that the other per, the other person has a point of view. Yeah, it's, it's not not you have to accept what they're saying. You just got to accept that they're allowed to have an opinion. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, yeah. Which is, a, I think which that, is I a, suppose, subtle, I, a subtle difference sometimes. Yeah. And I think the worst thing to do is to try and change them from that point of view. It's about, so, well, okay, I'm, I know where your point of view is. Now it's for me to say where my point of view is and, yes. and, and ha- allow the both parties to, to say what they want to say, I guess. Well, that, yeah, it is. That. I mean, you, you're, you're coming at it from a view of saying, okay, they've got their opinion, you've got your opinion. Mm. Where do you, where are you far apart? Where are you close together? If you're close together, it's like, okay, well, we can agree on that bit. I'll tick that one off. Okay, I'll, I'll accept where you're coming from. You know, And it quite often, I mean, I, I can remember in the past having arguments over the physical size of a property and not being able to agree how big the thing is. So when you put it to an arbitrator, the first thing they get if the arbitrator thinks is, well, these two Muppets up to, they can't even agree on how big the bloody thing is. <laughs> and it does happen. It does happen. And that's, you know, the, that's a matter of fact. So, you know, if you can't agree, you measure one thing and they measure something else. Okay, well, agree to go on site and agree to actually measure the thing together. So you come up with the, the areas that you can both agree on. If nothing else, that is one thing, because it's a matter of fact. You know, it hasn't shrunk. It hasn't grown. You know, it, yeah. it just is. You know, you're valuing the physical structure. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thing where you can always, or you should always be able to come up with a mutually agreed uh, approach, mutually agreed figure. Yeah. So the get, other get, get to the, the facts you can measure first. Then, and, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm saying the, the physical thing, because that, 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 that's something you can actually, you can, people can visualize. You know, if you're going into a building, yeah, the, the, the four walls are there. The four walls have been there since they took the lease. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to measure this thing and you could add bits on for corridors or take it off for that. And you can quite often, if you do a joint inspection, you can find out where the differences are and you can agree with the other side. Okay, we'll include that, but we won't include that. And, and you come up with a set of figures, which you're happy with. You can both give to your clients and say, like, okay, we jointly measured it and we've come up with this. We think this is right. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of fact what the building is. Where the disagreements come about is at the terms of the deal, the terms of the lease, the terms of the renewal, because some people's interpretation of what they've got and what they're getting are different. Now, the, 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 we're, we have the benefit, or we, if some wouldn't, wouldn't call it the benefit, in England and Wales of a piece of legislation that's been around for 70 years that has evolved over that period of time with case law. So every time someone does a lease renewal, it may be circumstances could, may have changed slightly on the legalities because it's a continuous rolling situation. Now, if somebody's doing um, the same set of negotiations in a different jurisdiction, like, say, for Scotland, your approach is completely different because the law you're dealing with doesn't exist. In the England and Wales, the Landlord and Tenant Act, doesn't exist in Scotland. It's a completely different set of circumstances. So it's a completely different set of negotiations and an approach from both sides to mm. achieve what you're trying to achieve. And you find up in, in the Scottish market that negotiations that you you have on you know, lease renewals, whether it's small or large, are carried out way in advance of the lease expiring because there's no right to renew a lease in Scotland. Whereas in England and Wales, there is a right to renew the lease. So both sides will mess around to the nth degree until you bring it to a head. And you know, the, the, old, the old phrase is at some point, you know, the arguing has to stop. Now, yeah. you can That's have it. that as part of a negotiation or go through the whole court process. But eventually, the arguing has to stop and someone has to make a decision, whether it will be the two clients 
surveyors and their reports or their seniors or the top you know, MDs or the, the top buyers in the companies, surely it's better for them to make the decision from a business perspective rather than to uh, disagree on everything and end mm-hmm. up going through the court process and spend tens or hundreds of thousands through a court process on what is something where you know, the red mist has descended and both sides have said, no, nope, not going to accept it and that's it. That's not <laughs> negotiation. Yeah, and it gets. Um, I'm guessing it gets expensive. But and, and also, well, yes, I'm just going to go back to that, that example you you said about of the the two different markets with Scotland. The, the thing I wrote down there is that the the in the Scottish market, there's far more motivation to get the deal sorted, isn't there? Well, there is. Um, there's motivation to get it done and to be more sensible about it. Because mm. if you think about it up there, say you've got a ten year term, that ten year term comes to an end on a date. On that date, if there's no deal been agreed. You cannot stay there beyond that date if you do your trespassing. Mm. Now, in reality, what happens is that um, uh, if you're staying there and both sides want you to stay there, you are often uh, granted a short-term tenancy at will to get the deal done. But more often than not, if you haven't got anything in place by that date, then you're out of there. Mm. And quite often, the landlord would have let it to somebody else because they can do that. In England and Wales, you can't. It's a completely different set of negotiations, completely different process, completely different mindset. But one of the things that I've dealt with in Scotland before is that um, you end up talking about it two years in advance. You sit down with your landlord and go, like, we'd like to renew the lease for a period of time. And the landlord will say either yes or no. If they want to, they'll try and get a deal in place beforehand. So you also have to remember as well that the way things are done up there is that once you've agreed something, that's it, it's set in stone. You can't backtrack. You can't gazump or gazundle, as the phrase is in the residential market. It doesn't mm. happen. You're breaking the law. Once you've agreed a deal, that's it. It's set in stone. And that rolls through to how the lawyers do things as well. So the leases look completely different because they will sit down, the two sides, and go through each individual clause. This is coming back to the the, the um, reference. Uh, the Scotship that I mentioned about before in England and Wales. Mm-hmm. Same sort of process. But up in Scotland, they'll sit there, the two lawyers, on, you know, they'll have a telephone conference or they'll sit in the same room, and they'll go through clause by clause and agree it. Once it's agreed, that's it, tick, move on, move on. Until they get to the end of the document, the document is then agreed and gets signed by the clients. Mm. Isn't that a much more simple process? It certainly sounds it does, a lot more grown up. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, that's the point. It is. I mean, there are lots of nuances about it, and I mean the way this, the, the the leases are worded. That you know they don't have clauses; they call them missives and things like mm. that. It's like one great long document rather than section to section. So the actual leases themselves look completely different. But the the, the negotiation element of it um, is a lot more is a lot different as well because it, it is a lot more grown up, as you put it. It's a lot more yeah. open. Yeah. Um, well, when you look at the majority of the stuff that you know that, that I deal with in England and Wales, you've got a two-stage market. You've got stuff where the lease is inside the landlord and tenant act, as what is referred, or outside. Mm. And the approach you take to it are completely different. If it's inside, what it's talking about is the, the there's a, a, a small section within the, what is quite a big act, which gives security of tenure to the tenant. The whole point of it when it was brought in back in the 50s was to stop landlords basically bullying tenants out of existence. Now, it's supposed to be an equitable equitable document between both sides, but in reality, it favours the tenant because it's there to protect their interests a lot more than it is to protect the landlord's interests. 
And some tenants do try it on an awful lot um, and just they just ignore it. And you have to, and again, it causes more issues because you can't, again, it, you can negotiate with someone like that. Um, and then you have to go down, you use the elements you've got within the lease, you have to go down the legal route to try and get them on board, if you like, to get them to deal with the, the lease document as it is. Um, but if somebody is that determined not to do it, it's a very difficult situation for you to resolve um, mm. because they won't negotiate. They won't deal with you. They, they, they just blank it off. So <laughs> you're, you're just dealing with it as if you're just talking to a brick wall. Um, and these situations do happen, not often, but they do happen. Yeah. And it comes, uh, some of the time, it comes back to the, 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 the party who's been difficult, that it may be in their human nature to be difficult, or it just may be that they don't understand what they're dealing with. And it comes back to my initial point is that, you know, to be well advised is great. But a lot of the time, people in these situations, they don't know what they're dealing with. They don't even know what they don't know. As far as mm. they're concerned, they've got this. And in reality, they've got something completely different. But if they don't take the right advice, in the end, it costs them a lot more in time, effort, and money. But they don't know that because they've got no benchmark. They've got nothing to, to work it to. So these are probably the, the, the worst situations to be in because you're dealing with someone that either doesn't care or doesn't understand what they don't care about. Yeah, yeah. I've just written down cards on your table. It's about actually being up front and actually putting all your cards on the table at some point. Um, it you know, is. In, a, in, a, in um, an analogy, that poker sort of um, analogy. And it is. I mean, my view, that basically, is to put it up front as early as possible. Mm. But the human nature is not to do that, especially when you can hide behind the, 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 the legislation we've got. So whether it's, if it's inside the Act, where the, a large portion of uh, uh, commercial leases are, you can play games and mess around with it indefinitely if you want to. You can manipulate the process to your mm. benefit. There's a lot of strategies that can be employed to um, get a better position for you. And that's how lawyers think, and that's how surveyors think generally. But again, I will firm believe we're backtracking to the beginning. Okay, what are we trying to achieve here? Mm. What are we actually dealing with? What have we actually got? And see where the similarities are. And use that as a leverage to get you know the deal that you want to get across the table, whilst being open with the guy on the other side. Now this does come through a little bit more um, with the court process because the courts don't want to see these things; they only want to see something on a matter of law. If it's a valuation issue, um, they don't want it. They don't want to see it. They, they, the whole process is there for it to go through the courts, but the courts don't want it there because if every lease renewal went through the court, nothing else would ever happen. Yeah. About 95% of um, lease renewals get agreed before they get to court. 5%, the remaining 5% of those, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I think at least half of them get agreed before the court process is actually completed. You know, I've right. had two or three that have been agreed the night before or on the morning of the court hearing. Yeah. Because people realize, oh, it's going to cost me a huge amount of money, I better give in. Why didn't you give in six months ago? Because it's cost you all the money to get to where you are now. <laughs> but also you're handing over the responsibility to somebody else completely that's just going to see it on the day and just have to make a decision on it, whereas you far better you know, come to an agreement, um, you know, sit, sit down or come to some sort of agreement where you can well, exactly. um, agree on why, something why not, beforehand. Mm. Yes, but why not deal with that a number of uh, weeks or months beforehand? Because if it goes to court, who is actually going to be valuing your property? A judge. Yeah. Is that judge a valuer? 
No, he's not. He's a legal expert. He might have a few investment properties stuck around, but he's not a valuer. He doesn't. He comes. He will come at it from a legal point of view. It's far better if you're in a situation where you've reached a set of negotiations, and it's coming back to that schedule that I mentioned earlier on. That you can't agree on everything. You know, you can't agree on the rent, but you've agreed that the term, the break, and the other point. So the only thing outstanding is the rent. Okay, do we want that to go to a judge or do we want it to go to a valuer? Well, let's put it to a valuer. So there are processes there that you can agree between the sides to tell the court, right, we're going to put this in front of a valuer to put a value on this, and then you take it out of the court process. It goes to an independent party, similar as it would do with a rent review. And you present your case to the arbitrator or the independent expert and say, well, I think it's worth X because and give all your reasons. And the other side will do the same. They will then take those reports and come up with an answer. That then goes to the judge and the judge to rubber stamp and say, right, well, at least you're all sorted. You've agreed everything. The, the third party has put the rent on it. Job done. The courts are encouraging you to do that. There is a situation where I mean, a couple of years ago, there was quite a big case um, which the cost ran into hundreds of thousands of pounds. And um, the decision was arrived at where one party won. But because they'd been bloody minded about the um, having to go to court, they wouldn't accept any other route of resolving this. They wouldn't go to a third party. They wouldn't do mediation. They wouldn't do anything else. Um, they ignored it. They, 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 the one side had said, look, we'll, we'll go to mediation. We'll do this. We'll go um, down this other route. We don't want to go to court. So the guys that won, they, they won the court case. So they thought they were happy. But the court said that, well, you've ignored all these other uh, other sides' um, attempts to resolve this, either by negotiation amicably or going down a mediation route or a third-party route. You've ignored all that. You've just, you just refused to do it. So I'm going to award the cost of the case against you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to see these cases in court. It's not a matter of um, law. It's a, just a matter of money, a matter of cost. We're going to, basically, they said, I'm going to make an example of you. Well, that so it's almost like now, a, bl- a bloody, mindedness, bloody mindedness tax there, isn't it? And like saying, well, you know, if you're going to be like yeah, that, then you're exactly. not gonna, it's going to cost but that, you. But, exactly. But that's how it's been interpreted. So the, the court case is, uh, um, I think, a PGF versus somebody or other. I can't remember who it is. Mm. But when how that resolves around some negotiations and early on, and I've had this discussion with, with various um, uh, commercial uh, litigators and their view is um, the ones that deal with these things all the time as well. When we get involved with something, the first thing we do is offer mediation or a pact, which is the, the arbitration process I mentioned, which means um, the professional arbitration on court terms. So that's giving both sides the opportunity to take it out of the court process, to put it in front of, an independent party to resolve. Or you sit down at mediation with the other side and an independent party who's a mediator to try and get a deal done. Mm. Now, either of those is more preferable and cheaper and more and quicker and more cost-effective than going to court. And my argument is that that should be brought into the negotiations at an early stage. So you're saying to the other side, okay, yeah, well, we're, we're, we're talking about this, we're talking about that, we're having issues. We can't agree on this. We can't agree on that. Fine. I, I accept you've got an opinion, and um, we've got a different opinion. So how do, we re- how do we resolve this? Well, we're quite happy to go to mediation to do that, or we're quite happy to stick it in front of an arbitrator or an independent expert. Mm. Your choice. Now, if the other side ignores that, when it comes to costs at court, the likelihood is 
you're not going to pay many of the costs of the court process. It's going to be the lion's share is going to get paid by the yeah. other side. Yeah. Because of this process, because of this court hearing, because of this um, high up um, court decision where yeah, the party that ignored the alternative dispute resolution approach got penalised. And I think it's a good thing to do. And it does mm. bring things to a head a lot earlier. But some people, again, that, that it comes down to what you said about putting your cards on the table first up. Mm. If you are in a negotiation like this and you're not going to get anywhere with it and you can see that you're going to end up with a few points outstanding, put the mediation card down early. Offer a third-party resolution early. Because once you've done it and gone into writing and reiterate the fact that, well, we'll we'll obviously bring this correspondence forward on the matter of costs at a later stage, but not otherwise. So it's written on a without prejudice, save as to costs approach yeah yeah any negotiator on the other side any lawyer on the other side will take one look at it and tell their client right you've got to do adr you've got to try and reach negotiation because if you don't and we end up at court and you've got to acknowledge that fact if we go to court and you haven't done that you're going to end up paying most of the costs mm. and that's mm. how the professional sees it the surveyors and um the, the solicitors generally yeah, yeah. Oh, they probably, I mean, like everything, not everybody agrees with that approach, but most of the cases that I've come across now, when you, you discuss about negotiations, you just discuss about tactics. Yeah. You put forward the ADR early on. Yeah. And the earlier yeah. the better, because it's putting all your options out there. It's putting on the, on the table that like we're looking to try and agree. We're being reasonable here. But if we can't agree it, then we're willing to do this. Yeah. So you, you're showing that you're doing everything feasible before it goes anywhere near a judge. Yeah, it's, it's protecting it makes, it makes yourself. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Protecting yeah. yourself against costs as well, and taking responsibility. Giving, yeah, you take responsibility for it, but you're also you're, you're giving your client the best advice that you can in yeah. a difficult situation. Great. Okay. Well, uh, sadly, Alan, uh, our time is running out, and as as you know, I ask all my guests for some top tips to leave uh, our listeners. So, what you, what would you say those top tips would be uh, when it comes to negotiating? Um, if you don't understand fully understand what you've got get the right advice get your team of advisors get your surveyors get your solicitors building surveyors or whatever you need in the situation but get the right advice because in the long term it will save you a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of hassle nobody can know everything themselves so get the right advice from these people so that would be the, the primary thing to do um other points to consider as well that you know, these things have a habit of getting complicated all on their own. So deal with them in that with that frame of mind. Be open about your negotiations. Try and reach a mutual position as soon as you can with something. Don't let it fester. Don't let it run on. That's the best way of trying to bring things to a head as soon as feasibly possible. And if you can't do that, think about alternative uh, dispute resolution rather than going to court because it will be a better mechanism for you to get to a situation which is acceptable for both sides. And again, it's quicker and it's more cost-effective. Great stuff. Well, thank you, Alan, for your time today. Uh, it's been fascinating and, and to understand a bit more how the, you know, the the, the property commercial property market uh, works a bit more, uh, and you've given some great value today. Well, thanks for having me on.
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out the Reluctant Leader Academy. And if you get a chance, please leave a review on whichever platform you have been listening. And also share the love by sharing the episode with someone who would benefit. Leadership is a choice. If you have the right mindset, know the process to follow and the key skills to use at each point in the process, you have everything you need to leave a lasting legacy. Don't forget to put into action anything that has struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be. Thank you.